Well, amen. That needed an amen, guys. I'm just going to tell you. That needed an amen. Hey, there we go, Nan. See, that's the problem. Nan was singing. There's the, that's the problem. There it is. There it was. I knew that needed an amen. I was wondering where it was. Gave you the opportunity. John chapter 6. John chapter 6, verses 60 through 71. John chapter 6, verses 60 through 71 will be our text this morning. As you're opening up there, I want to mention one announcement. Uh, coming up on May 23rd, that's a Wednesday night, we're doing something a little differently that night. We're, we're going to have an event we're calling Retrospect Prospect. I mean, he's looking backward and looking forward. It's a state of the church worship service. We'll be having a business meeting that night. We'll be taking the Lord's Supper together. We'll be worshiping together. We'll be getting ministry reports from our different ministerial staff. Uh, we're going to get an updates, updates on kind of where we are as a church, what God's done and, and what we're doing moving forward. So I really hope and pray that everyone who's here this morning and, and beyond will make plans to be here that Wednesday night. Wednesday night, the 23rd, that's from 6 to 7. Uh, please be here. Please be here. Even if you don't typically come on Wednesday night, what a great opportunity to come, enjoy a good meal of fellowship, and then have some time together reflecting on what God's done, understanding, thinking through, praying through the state of First Baptist Church. If you have your Bibles open there to John chapter 6, verses 60 through 71, why don't you go ahead and stand with me out of reverence for the reading, the words of our God. John writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God himself is speaking to you. Beginning verse 60. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. Verse 66, listen carefully. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. And so Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Let's pray together. Lord, open our hearts and minds to see the cost of discipleship this morning, God, but open our hearts and minds to be changed by your words so that we are ready and willing to embrace that cost. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. On April 9th, 1945, great German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer was hanged by the Nazis just weeks, mere days, before the Allied invasion would liberate the prison in which he was kept. Eight years before this, his classic work, 1937, his classic work, The Cost of Discipleship, 
had been published. Listen to what he said in this great book. One of Bonhoeffer's most famous quotes right here from The Cost of Discipleship. The cross, Bonhoeffer says, is not the end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Bonhoeffer, as he wrote, the cost of discipleship was reminding the German Lutheran church of what Christ's followers here in this text had learned. There is a cost to discipleship. Following Jesus is not always easy. Bonhoeffer was writing against what he called cheap grace. It's a sort of grace that's just a foregone conclusion. Does that sound familiar to y'all? Witness to a man at a gas station one day. He, uh, he, he told me, he said, God will forgive me, that's his job. That's cheap grace. That's cheap grace. It's the kind of grace that we peddle in and deal in most of the time in predominantly Christian cultures. The same thing had happened in Lutheran Germany. Bonhoeffer's recognition that a death to self is necessary to follow Christ eventually, I would argue, led to his ability to remain faithful to Christ even unto a literal death. It compelled Bonhoeffer to return to Germany during World War II despite the fact that he was evacuated by friends to America to be kept safe. Instead, Bonhoeffer went home. He said he could not stay safe while his countrymen suffered. It, it compelled him to resist the Nazis, the Nazi regime to the point of even working to assassinate Adolf Hitler. It led him to preach Christ in jail until the day he was finally murdered senselessly. Days before allied liberation costly grace there's a cost to discipleship brothers and sisters my great fear as a pastor here in the bible belt here in the deep south here in a county where there's 80 or 90 southern baptist churches for a hundred thousand people what i worry about what i pray about so frequently is God I worry that we don't have the sort of Christianity in our culture that could hold up in jail that could hold up through martyrdom I fear I fear that we have not met Christ at the cross I, I fear that we have not counted the cost of discipleship and this morning I want to press upon you three realities related to the cost of discipleship. Three truths this morning related to our Lord's gospel call. I want you to see three things this morning about the cost of the gospel call, the cost of discipleship. Here's the first point this morning. The gospel call is free but costly. The gospel call, brothers and sisters, is free but costly. What exactly, we must ask ourselves, did the disciples stumble over? Now, if you were here last week and, and sat through the marathon of the middle part of John chapter 6, we looked through this, this bread of life discourse, is what it's often called, as Jesus talks about the fact that he is the bread of life, and he sort of concludes with this idea, you must what? Eat my flesh and drink my blood. Now, at first glance, that's simply what pushed people away. That's simply what people are stumbling over, and that's certainly part of what people are stumbling over. 
is just a sort of literalistic understanding of eat my flesh and drink my blood. But we're foolish to think that this is the only thing. In fact, I would say this was simply for many of these folks the straw that broke the camel's back. In fact, you see, and I'm borrowing heavily from one commentator in in looking at these four things, D.A. Carson, uh, help, help me see these things in John 6. But if you look back through John 6 to this point, we see a fuller picture. Think about the things that so far in John chapter 6 have made people stumble. Here's the first, a preoccupation with material provision. A preoccupation with material provision. Jesus tells them in verse 26, the only reason, only reason you have uh, any desire to know me or to see me or to come follow me is because I filled your bellies up. They're preoccupied with material provision. Second of all, There's a preference of political messiahship. They want Jesus to become king. Verse 15, Jesus flees them. Why? Because they're about to come and make him king over and over and over again in the Gospels. People are preoccupied with this idea of having a preference of Jesus being a merely political messiah. They want him to throw over Rome and reestablish an independent, autonomous Israel. Third, there's a focus on man-centered Miracles. They are requiring signs of Jesus, asking Jesus to show them signs in order to to make them feel better. And then we also see a prideful idolatry of religious tradition. A preoccupation with Moses, a focus on Moses, and a a frustration with Jesus uh, in the fact that he's breaking many of their religious taboos. So four things, four things that held people up that that tripped people up in following Christ, a preoccupation with material provision, a preference of a political Messiah, a focus on man-centered miracles, and a prideful idolatry of religious tradition. And I ask you this question today, brothers and sisters. What's the difference between the world in which Jesus lived and the world in which we live? There's not much difference. Here in our Bible Belt culture, we have, as the predominant religion, in my opinion, The health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. People simply want to follow Jesus. Why? So that they can be healthy, wealthy, and prosper. How is that different than people following Christ so that they can have their bellies full? We have a cultural obsession, second of all, with identity politics. Brothers and sisters, evangelical Christians are more obsessed with politics than they are with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That, that, that is, I can come to no other conclusion as a pastor but that reality. We have become obsessed with politics. We're like the children of Israel who want Saul to fight battles for us. We want to do things in a worldly, worldly way. We are identical to those people who find Jesus a stumbling block because he won't simply fight their battles for them. We're obsessed with politics. Third of all, they wanted these man-centered miracles, and the same sort of thing happens in our own culture and society. First of all, you've got this sort of pop Pentecostalism that's pointing to all sorts of different, uh, I would say, dubious miracles, like some churches have gold dust that supposedly appears in their church service and things like that. But then you also have a sort of obsession with the sort of literature that points to what I would call dubious miracles. Then fourth of all, In our Bible Belt culture, we have an idolatry of tradition at the expense of spiritual vitality and mission. So often churches would rather die than change. What a shame it is. 
What a shame it is to be willing to send your neighbors to hell for your religious traditions. How different is that than the Israelites' obsession with the law that they had added to the law? How different is what we have than the world Jesus lived in? Brothers and sisters, we must know as Christians, we must know as believers, each and every one of of us in this room must recognize these are the things that will keep our neighbors, our brothers and sisters in Christ from seeing Jesus for who He is. The religious people of Jesus' day were just as far from Christ as the pagans were in Jesus' day. Jesus knew, verse 61, Jesus knew that they were offended by what He had said. They knew that He knew that He had been mounting things up that were frustrating them. And so we see then in verse 61, Jesus, knowing in Himself that His disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what, Jesus says, verse 62, if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where He was before. Obviously, Christ here is talking about His future ascent into heaven, but throughout the Gospel of John, when Jesus talks about being lifted up or He talks about ascension, He's so often alluding not only to His ascension into heaven, but first of all, His ascension into heaven to the cross. His being lifted up on the cross. I think I agree with the commentator who sees this here. Jesus is alluding to His being lifted up on the cross and His ascension into heaven. In other words, (coughs) Jesus is pointing them even so subtly to the most offensive reality. If you think all these things are offensive, Jesus says, what would you say if you saw the man, the Son of Man, being crucified and then eventually Going back to heaven. He's pointing them to the most offensive reality of who He is. He is Lord and that He will be killed on the cross. One preacher says this regularly. He says, the gospel is offensive. Let's not let anything else be offensive. The gospel is offensive. Don't let anything else be. Jesus is showing the way that if you think these things I've said so far are offensive, just wait to the greatest stumbling block. And brothers and sisters, was he not right? Because at his crucifixion, his disciples were all but gone. Oh, my friends, the gospel call of our Lord is free. But it's costly. It's a call to abandon your idols your preconceived notions, the gods you fashioned for yourself, the comfort of man-made religion, the easy coasting of cultural religion, the cheap, repentanceless pseudo-religion of wholesome people and communities. It's a call to abandon all of your preconceived notions, and it's a call to embrace the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord Himself, the wild grace that He offers you, the life that unites you with God Himself, and the death that makes it all possible. Brothers and sisters, the call of Christ is free to you, but it's costly costly second of all the gospel call is open but god enabled the gospel call is open but god enabled 
I've, I've told you all this multiple times in my life, and I like to remind you every chance I get, but I, I believe wholeheartedly in the free offer of the gospel to all peoples in all places. I, I believe with all my heart that we ought to be offering the gospel freely to all people in all places. Uh, that, that's the call of the gospel, in my opinion. Every week, I, I tell you, if you will repent of your sins, if you will trust in Jesus Christ, you will be saved. And I, 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 that's what I would call the free offer of the gospel to all people. However, we must also, as believers, recognize, and this is something Baptists have done poorly at, in my opinion, over the past several decades, but we must also recognize that salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. We spend so much time, we spend so much time trying to make sure that, that we are preaching the pre- free offer of the gospel and that we're preaching that anyone at any time can be saved, that the gospel of Christ is sufficient for all people, things I hold so dearly. But brothers and sisters, we spend so much time on that that so often we ignore this beautiful truth that salvation belongs to God. The gospel call is open, but it's God-enabled. It's God-enabled. Verse 63, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. There's one thing that any of us in this room have contributed to our salvation, and that's the sin. That's the only thing that we get to chip in. Everything else belongs to the Lord. The words that I've spoken, Jesus says, to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. Now I want you to focus on verse 65. It's what 65 said. And he said, this is why, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. Brothers and sisters, we must recognize that there is a mystery and a tension in the Bible for the people of God. All we know and say and do about this as believers is to preach the gospel openly and freely to all people and at the same time to recognize that salvation belongs to the Lord. I believe that anyone at any time if they put their faith and trust in Jesus will be saved and at the same time I don't believe a single person comes to Jesus Christ in faith without the Father drawing him there. I can't, I cannot get around the words of our Lord. It's the Spirit, the Bible says, who gives life. The flesh, the Scripture says, is no help at all. Some don't believe Some are still struggling with the flesh versus the spirit. Some are still diving into these sort of fleshly, uh, these sort of fleshly responses to Jesus. This desire for a political Messiah. This desire for health, wealth, and prosperity. This desire for a sort of man-made religion. This desire for these things. Some people are still struggling with this. Some people don't believe. Some are having a hard time hearing the words of Christ. But what does Jesus say? My words are spirit and life. People in the flesh struggle to hear what the Spirit has to say. And so Jesus tells them so plainly, this, the fact that you're struggling with this, this is why I told you that no one comes to me unless it is granted him by the Father. Here's the point I think that Jesus is making. Here's a point I, I want you as believers to take home today. It's a simple reality. Faith is a miracle. Faith is a miracle. Now think about who you are. Now some of y'all, some of y'all probably think, you know, I grew up in church. It wasn't hard for me to become a Christian. 
But brothers and sisters, sometimes those are the hardest people. Because oftentimes my job as a preacher, and I meet folks here in the Bible Belt, here in the South, here in our mission field, half my job, before I can even get to preaching the gospel to folks, I've got to tell them what it means to be lost. I've got to tell them what it means to be lost. Our daughter, just several uh, months ago, we mentioned to her that she couldn't partake of the Lord's Supper in here one, one night, one day. She said, why not? We said, well, because only Christians can take the Lord's Supper. And she said, what do you mean I'm not a Christian? She's grown up literally in this church. And I've got three little church mice. They're here, you know, more days than not. They hang around the church, you know. And in her mind, there's only one church in the whole world, First Baptist Church of Gadsden. To my daughter, I'm the Pope. There's one church, and I'm, I'm the pastor. And of course she's a Christian. She comes to church every Sunday. So I've, you know, I've got, part of what I've got to do with my own children over time, right, is to help them develop a theology of sin that recognizes that they're lost. Even though they've grown up in, in the church, that they're lost, that they need a Savior. It's really easy, I think, especially for preachers' kids, to, to get into a sort of legalism. I spent a whole lot of my life thinking I could earn my own salvation. Faith is a miracle. Our natural predisposition is to oppose God. Faith is a miracle. Our natural predisposition is to want to do things our own way. Faith is a miracle. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Be reminded afresh today that though the gospel call is open, though you are part of the family of God, do not think for a moment it's because of something you've done or because of how smart you were or because of how good you are. Do not think for a moment that we are just simply the best sort of people on earth and that's why there's a lot of Christians around us. Don't think for a moment that just because you grew up in church and, and because you heard the gospel and believed it quickly don't think for a moment that the reason for that is you it's God it's his grace the gospel call is open but it's God enabled finally third point this morning is this the gospel call is hard but worth it the gospel call is hard but worth it. These are hard words to hear, brothers and sisters. The gospel call is free but costly. And that reality sort of shatters our preconceived notions about who God is. The gospel call is open but God enabled. And that shatters our preconceived notions that we can earn our own salvation. That it has something to do with us. And the gospel call is hard but worth it. As everything's been shattered on the floor, this reality in verses 66 through 71 simply puts us back what a harrowing verse we encounter here. Verse 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. I've seen this happen, brothers and sisters. I've seen people that I thought I led to Christ that I thought were genuinely saved, that I baptized myself, come to a place and recognize that the gospel call was too hard for them. It was too much for them to walk with Jesus. And they turned back and stopped following Christ. And Jesus turns 
after these people turn back and no longer work with him, he turns to his inner core, the disciples who he himself called, the ones he chose. Verse 67, he asks them, Do you want to go away as well? I love Peter. I relate to Peter. I I like Peter because Peter tends to just go for it, man. I don't know if y'all know me very well, but I sometimes will speak before I think every once in a while. Makes me feel good because the Apostle Peter did the same thing from time to time. But here he, he gives a good answer, even though Jesus sort of gently reminds him. He gives such a good answer, Jesus feels the need to sort of gently remind him, Hey, Peter, I chose you, buddy, okay? Don't forget. Don't forget that I'm the source of this. But listen to what Peter says. Lord, verses 68 and 69, Lord, to whom shall we go? To whom Shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Lord, to whom shall we go? Jesus reminds them, though, I chose you, first of all, and second of all, one of you is a devil. One of you will betray me. Here's the reality, though. Peter was right. Peter was right. Stop and consider this for a moment, brothers and sisters. The gospel call is free. It costs you nothing, but it is costly. You don't owe God anything, but you must give up your own life. The gospel call is open, but God enabled. You can't earn it yourself. It's something God must do. Oh, but brothers and sisters, these hard realities, these difficult truths, what you lose, what you lose in following Christ. Oh, don't you so much more gain, so much more in following Christ. Brothers and sisters, you may have to sell everything you own to buy the field, but there in it is a pearl of great price, the value of which you could never fathom. Peter doesn't say to him, no big deal. He he doesn't say to Jesus, he doesn't say, oh, this is easy, this is nothing, we can handle this. No, he says, the call of Christ is hard, but where else can I go? Where can we go for the words of eternal life? These brothers believe the Lord. They know He is the Messiah. They are confessing here, looking at Jesus, beholding His face, hearing what He said, recognizing this is the Son of God. This is the Holy One of God. They are recognizing and confessing it is worth it to follow Jesus. Even as friends and others leave, we remain. Why? Because Jesus Christ is worth it. Even as family members might mock our faith in Christ, we stick with Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is worth it. There's a cost to be a disciple. It's free, but it's costly. It's something the Lord does it. It's hard, but it's worth it. But what joy there is on the other side of the difficulty of the pain of following Christ. Right now, at this very moment, some of you, some of you are under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. 
I, I believe with all my heart there's a moment right now where some of you are at a crossroads and Christ is pressing on you to give up, finally, whatever it is you're hanging to. For me, it's my own religious bona fides. I was a student missions coordinator at the University of Mobile. Theretofore, the highest title I'd ever held in my life. And what would people say back at the University of Mobile if the student missions coordinator came home from his church internship over the summer and said that he had become a Christian for the first time? What would they say? Now, we all laugh in here right now, right? Because it sounds silly. But my goodness, at that time, at that time, it felt so hard. What is it that you cling to right now in this moment? What people might think, what you have to let go of, etc., etc., etc. There is nothing that you cling to today that is worth Christ. Give me Jesus. What joy there is on the other side of difficulty, of pain. Are you ready today to let go of this life in order to gain Christ? I like to imagine a young Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Much like these children who worship with us every Sunday singing the great hymns of the faith. I love to think about Dietrich Bonhoeffer singing this line from the song every young Lutheran would have known by heart. That word above all earthly powers. No thanks to them abideth. The Spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go. This mortal life also. The body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. As he enjoyed the life of a young German, upper-class child, singing that verse every week, not knowing, I would imagine, that one day this verse would for him be literal. Can you imagine today dying for your faith? Perhaps not. Perhaps not, and I understand that. Sometimes I, I think about it. Could, could I, would I? I can't imagine that, but what I can imagine what I can't imagine is that great scene in the book of Revelation where the martyrs of God are surrounding His throne and they're singing out to Him and God has given them joy on the other side. I can't imagine dying for my faith, but I can imagine what Christ has promised for those who do and for those who don't. I can imagine the joy. I can imagine the solid hope we have as a believer in Christ. Can you, I ask you this morning, can you in the face of great difficulty in following Jesus, we can recognize alongside that author of the Bible that said you have not yet resisted the author of Hebrews says to the point of the shedding of your blood but in these difficult moments can you say can you say with Peter Lord to whom shall we go one day God forbid if you find yourself in a jail cell a jail cell like Dietrich Bonhoeffer did will you have already faced your death in Christ well, you have already recognized that when Christ calls a man, He bids him come and die. And in those moments where you're tempted to give in, in those moments, even today, where you're tempted 
to give in. Can you remember His kingdom? Though this suffering is temporary, though this difficulty is temporary, though fighting this temptation is temporary, though this jail cell is temporary, though the suffering of your family is temporary, His kingdom is forever. His kingdom is forever. The gospel call is hard, but it's worth it. I want to offer an invitation today. If you've never trusted Jesus for the first time, I I offer this invitation to you this morning. Come and know Jesus. Turn from your sins and repentance and turn to Christ in faith and you will be saved. You may be a believer and you may say, Pastor, I need to step it up. This altar is open to you. Finally, you may be looking for a church home. I'd love to talk to you about what it means for you to be a member here at First Baptist Church. After this prayer, I want to invite you to come. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for Jesus Christ. And God, we thank you for the fact that that though we are compelled to follow Him because He is truth, nonetheless, Father, it is worth it. And it is because in Your grace and love You have made it so. God, strengthen Your church so that we might live for Christ, God, in ways that up until this point we haven't. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.